Today, I'd like for you to turn with me to James chapter 4. I hope you're being patient with me. I, I came to you at the first of the year, and I told you that I felt like that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me to take this church as the preacher, as the speaker, as the leader, if, if you will. That all sounds arrogant, but it, it's not meant. I, I say that, you know, with, with fear and trembling, as the old timers used to say. Although I'm not fearful, I, I, don't, I don't carry a spirit of fear on me. But I, I just felt like the Lord was saying, give them my word, because my word can fix anything that they have in their lives. And, and so I have purposefully this year tried to stay in the word. And so that's the reason we're still in James chapter 4, because James is talking to the people of his day about authentic faith. He's, he's not talking about fake faith. He's not talking about uh, faith that we just perceive to be right. He's saying that there are some markers about authentic faith that we can get our head wrapped around and, and we can begin doing these things and, and, and living in these things. And when we do that, we'll discover that we have real faith for real life. Because if faith doesn't work in real life, then what good is it? it it's just this religious thing that we do that has no value to our life. But listen, when we start doing what this book says because we believe that it is not just a representation of the Word of God, it is the Word of God. When we start believing it and doing what it says, it will change our lives. It will transform us from the inside out. And for years, the church has had that backward because we wanted to change people from the outside in, and church, it just doesn't work that way. It works on the inside and works its way out. So today we'll go to James chapter 4. And I'm going to talk to you for a few moments this morning about faith submits. Faith submits. Now look, when I even say that word submit or submission, most people just bristle at that. I, you know, we live in this day and age in our world today where it's like, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. I don't want anybody telling me what I can or should do. I want to do it on my own. But if we're going to walk with the Lord, we have to do it his way. Would you say amen to that? Would you agree with that? So James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, we'll read the first 17 verses. We'll read the entire chapter. You ready? Here we go. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. And you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss or wrongly so that you can spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose 
it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And let's add the sisters in there as well. For the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make some profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are simply a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. So instead you ought to say if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. As it is. You boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So Hoover knows the right thing to do. And fails to do it for him. It is sin. Lord, I'm excited about your word today. I've done the best I know how to do to study, to pray. I did not come here not knowing what I was going to talk about today. I came here prepared in my mind and in my spirit to say the things that you have placed in my spirit from your word. And so now I declare that your word, as it goes forth today, will be transformational in the lives of your people. Because you already promised that if your word goes forth, it shall not return to you void. But it shall accomplish everything that you intend for it to do. So Lord, right now, with great expectation and anticipation, we're going to talk about your word. And let your Holy Spirit do in us what needs to be done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Punch your neighbor and say, you better be ready for this. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to learn the importance of humble submission to God. We're going to talk about his ways and not our ways. And we're talk about how that that will impact our relationship with him and how it will impact our relationship with one another. Because how many of you know that when we get right with God then we can also get right with others. And so we're going to talk about that. Now we come to this pulpit today in this church service realizing that we live in a world that is full of strife. I mean, there's chaos in our world today. But I want to share something with you that you may have forgotten. 
This is not an unusual day. There has been chaos in this world ever since Adam and Eve committed sin in the garden. If you don't believe me, just ask Cain or Abel. The Bible says that the blood still speaks today. And what that means is, is that as an example of what happens when sin is rampant, it it destroys relationships. And it causes people to live in such a mindset that instead of unity being the rule of the day, there is chaos and fighting and wars. So the root cause for strife is sin. And we know, because we discussed last week, that sin is anything that is contrary to God's kingdom and his ways. We've made up this scale for sin where we have a number one sin and we have a number ten sin and and we kind of rate them all along. But listen, sin is sin, right? And so we understand that sin is anything that is contrary to God's kingdom. So today, we're going to join James while he takes us on a journey to identify the reasons for strife, and then we'll also find the solutions. Amen. Aren't you glad that for every problem that we have to deal with, there is a solution that God has? Amen. There's nothing too hard for the child of God. There's nothing impossible for men and women who walk under the banner of Jesus Christ. You say, well, you don't live in my house and you don't have my marriage. Listen, don't you give up on your marriage just yet because God has a plan of restoration that can bring healing to your household. Say amen. Amen. So today, let's start off talking about the reasons for strife. He's very clear in verses 1 through 3. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, James accurately describes what's going on here in relationships. In the, in the King James Version, they, he uses words like this, wars. He uses words like fights. So what he's talking about here is not a simple disagreement. It, it, it's not something that, well, I have an opinion and you have an opinion and we'll just agree to disagree. No, this is a disagreement that is on the level of, I'm ready to knock your face right off of your head. He's talking about wars and fightings that are coming from the inside and manifesting on the outside. It suggests bitter and severe disagreements. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not. Like like most newly married couples, my wife and I had to work through a place where we could exist together. Now, we've been married for 38 years. And honestly, we don't fight anymore. We We might discuss something from time to time. 
But we have learned how to control our passions and to feel like that I have to have what I want and I have to have it right now. No, we've learned that we can be mutually submissive to one another. There are times that Donna's plan is much better than my plan. And I would be a much, I would just be an absolute idiot to want to fight and speak words to her and kill her spirit and put her down when what she's suggesting is the best way to do something. I would be an absolute idiot if I came in and said, hey, the Bible says that the wife has to be submissive to the man. Now, you know that. You better get yourself under submission, honey. Number one, she'd take a Louisville slugger and tee off for the fences. We have learned, this is driving me crazy, so I'm just going to fix it right now. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm hearing. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? I've got, this has no number on it whatsoever, so by faith, turn something off. Amen. Can you hear me? We've learned how to be submissive to one another mutually. Now, there are times that my idea is the best. Their idea, my, my plan is the best. And so we have learned how to mutually submit to one another without it causing a war in our household. Some of you, if you could just learn how to do that, your life would change drastically. There are some hills that you just don't need to die on. You just need to learn how to negotiate. Now, the source of strife is always the same. It is a root of carnality that, is, that supports an internal war within the believer regarding the lust of the flesh. Now, how many of you know that all of us fight against the lust of the flesh? Those things that are within us that cause us to want to say things and do things and think things that are contrary to the will of God. It, it is a root of bitterness that spring, springs up in us. Now, James gives us three to consider. First of all, he talks about covetousness. Now, to covet is an inner contemplation. It goes something like this. Man, I wish I had their house. It looks much nicer than our house. It's bigger than our house. It's newer than our house. It's prettier than our house. I covet that. I covet some of the blessings that this individual has. I covet their husband. I covet their wife. I, I, I would like to have what they have. It's an inner contemplation that has not manifested itself on the outside yet. You haven't spoken any words about it yet, but it is, it, it's roaming around in your mind and in your spirit. It's covetousness. I want what they have. I, how did they deserve to get that? And I didn't get, deserve to get that. How did they deserve to get the promotion at work? And I didn't deserve to get the promotion at work. How did he ever get a wife that looked like that? And how did she ever get a dud like that? I mean, a, 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 it's covetousness. It's an internal contemplation that has not manifested itself outwardly yet. And then covetousness turns to anger. Not only am I upset that they got it and I didn't, now I'm angry about it. God, who do you think you are? That you'd bless them and give them what they have and not bless me in the same way. 
So now I'm not only just coveting what they have, now I'm mad about it. Now I'm angry about it. And, and anger begins to manifest itself outwardly. It, you can see it in somebody's face. You can see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their words. You can see it when their brow is, is furrowed and, and they're angry and you can see it. I mean, I, you can tell by looking at people that, that they're just angry. You don't really know why. You don't know what it's about because it hasn't erupted out yet, but you know it's getting ready to. I don't know about you. I like to stay away from angry people. Because I know that like Mount St. Helens, something is getting ready to spew. You know what I mean? I just want to stay around. So there's covetousness, then there is anger, and then thirdly, there is animosity. And animosity is an outward action that takes into consideration the anger and the covetousness that has preceded it. So now I don't just covet what you have. And now I'm not just angry that you have it and I don't, but now I'm going to steal it from you. I, I may have to steal your integrity. I, have to, I may have to steal your influence. I may have to steal your character. I may have to steal your car. I may have to steal your house. I may have to steal your wife or your husband. I may have to steal what you have. Why? Because I have thought about it and I've coveted it for so long that I got angry about it and now animosity is flowing out of me and I will do whatever I have to do in order to get what you have so that I can be blessed. But you know what happens? We're not blessed. Instead, we find ourselves cursed because we have, we have gone against God's way. Uh, one of the commentaries said this. said, the word kill or murder is meant to startle the reader. James sought to force his readers to realize the depth of the evil in their bitter hatred toward others. They weren't just literally killing people by taking their lives. But as I mentioned earlier, they were killing people and murdering people with their words. And with their attitudes and with their actions, they were taking such severe attitudes and actions against them that it was showing up, according to James, in wars and in fighting. And so there was, there was this, this attitude of killing someone if it means I can better myself, or at least in my eyes. Now, as we move forward, James suggests that these out-of-control desires are present because of one's lack of effective prayer. Now, how do you connect that? How do you connect bad attitudes with effective prayer? Well, notice what he says. In, in the context of what he's saying, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. So I look at you and I say, well, I covet what you have. And then it grows into anger. Now I'm mad that I don't have what you have. And now I'm going to take matters into my own hands and do whatever I have to do because I have animosity flowing out of me. And James is just saying, if you just cool your jets and go to God with your desires and say, God, I want you to bless me too. 
It may not look like their blessing. It may not be like their blessing. It may look very different than their blessing. It may be on a different level of their blessing. It may be at a different level of maturity in my life than the level of maturity that is in their life. And maybe you've blessed them that way because you're requiring more of them than you're requiring of me. So you're blessing me on my level rather than blessing me on their level. He said, if you'll just get your act together and start praying and seeking God's face, if we ask, we will, we, will, we will receive. And if we seek, we will find. And if we knock, the door will be opened unto us. But he said, this anger and these quarrels are coming because you're not trusting God to meet your needs. Instead, you're wanting your need to be met through an under, another individual even if it means that you have to covet from them and be angry with them and then allow animosity to come from you. He says, he said, you need to seek God for your needs. And then he says, so then you ask, but you still don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Now, it's interesting here because you'll remember the story about the prodigal son, right? You remember the prodigal son went to his father and he said, I want my inheritance. And he went and the scripture says he spent it upon his own lusts and desires. The word spent there is the exact same word in the Greek as what we see here. So what we're seeing is, is that when our, when our priorities are mixed up, we will want to take God's blessings and spend them in a way in our lives that will not bring blessing to us. So he's saying you ask and you don't receive because you're asking for the wrong reasons. And God knows that, that your reason is to spend it upon your own pleasures. In other words, their prayers were self-centered and self-indulgent. How many of you ever played Little League Baseball? Can I see your hands? Softball, whatever. You ever remember praying, Lord God, help us win? Lord, for your glory, let me win today. Lord, let your anointing be on me in such a way that I dance or I play or I hit the ball or I pitch or I catch like I've never done before. And when it's all done and they hand me the trophy, God, I promise I'll give you glory. Do you ever wonder about those other, uh, those other little Christian boys and girls that are on the other team that are praying the exact same prayer that you're praying and God's in heaven saying, hmm, whom should I bless? Whom should I bless? Whom should I bless? That's not even the right way for us to pray. The right way would be for us to say, Lord, let me do the best that I can do today. If I win, fine. Help me to be a gracious winner. <clears throat> if I lose, fine. Help me to be a gracious loser. But God, this is not the most important thing in my life. And I don't want to be blessed with winning while at the same time wanting someone else to be cursed by losing. God, don't let that kind of... And, and, and we carry that into other areas of our lives. And we fight with our spouses. And sometimes we don't really care if they're blessed or not. We just want what we want. 
And so James is saying that when your prayers are self-centered and self-indulgent, then God will not answer those prayers. The purpose of prayer is not to persuade a reluctant God. The purpose of prayer is to align our will with His and in partnership with Him to ask Him to accomplish His will on this earth. We pray like, Lord, I need to convince you now that my way is the right way. Now, if you'll just listen to me for a few minutes, I'm going to explain to you why I'm praying the way that I'm praying and why I want you to do what I want you to do. I have a good, solid argument here, God, and if you'll just listen, just just for a few minutes, God, just lend your ear to me. Just bend over here and let me just tell you how wonderful it would be in my life if you'd just do things the way that I want you to do them. And if you'd just bless me the way that I want you to bless me. Lord, if you just do this, then I know everything would be okay. And most of the time, our prayers are so self-centered and self-indulgent that we tie the hands of God to be able to bless us because He knows that if He answers the prayers that you pray instead of blessing it will bring cursing into your life I'm not getting any amens today I hope you're thinking about it and you're just twirling it around in your mind but our purpose of prayer is not to persuade God to our way but it is to persuade our spirit to his will so that Our actions and attitudes are in line with the will of God. And so that His will in heaven can be accomplished here on earth. And then James ends this section with a strong rebuke. Put your seatbelt on now. He says in the King James, he says, He says, adulterers or adulterers, adulterers and adulteresses. And this statement, reflected Old Testament vocabulary where God would rebuke His people when they were involved in idolatry. When when they were carving out these gods and when they were building these false gods and and I I always love the story about Dagon. You know that when they try to put Dagon and the Ark of the Covenant in the same room and it just didn't go well for Dagon if you know what I mean. But they created their own little carvings and their own little gods. And how many of you know we still do the same thing? They may not be little carvings, but we have our own little gods. And just like it was idolatry in the Old Testament, it can become idolatry in the New Testament and in our lives today. But that is the terminology, the vocabulary that God used when He discovered His people were were worshiping gods that were not Him. After he had already said, there shall be no other gods before me. No God beside me. And yet they created their own little God. And then they got disappointed in their gods because their gods couldn't do anything. (laughs) That's the epitome of stupidity. It really is. Somebody ought to quote me on that. That, that That's pretty good. Virtual amen that one, John, if you can. It's the epitome of stupidity to think that we can create something and then say, God, here is what you ought to consider for my life. It does not work that way. And he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Now, I found out something interesting about this as I studied this week. 
Better ancient Greek manuscripts only say adulteresses. Doesn't include adulterers. The addition of adulterers was probably made by an early scribe who thought James was speaking about literal sexual adultery and he didn't want the offending men to be excluded from the rebuke. In other words, we're not just going to get down on the lady. We're going to get down on the man too. But in James' statement, the picture that he uses, the, the term adulteresses fits well. Listen to this. Because according to the picture, God is the husband and we are the wife. The church is the bride of Christ. And so therefore, he is the husband, we are the wife, and when we worship others, we are in an, uh, the role of an adulteress. And so James is saying, this will never work. We cannot live in this manner. So here's the bottom line to this point. To summarize what we've already talked about. To be friends with the world is to be selfish and independent, but to be friends with God is to be submissive and dependent. Look at verses 4 and 5. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? See, what he's saying here is that the spirit of God within us gets jealous when we put other things in our lives above him, before him. Ahead of him, above him, and the scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things shall be added. Let's go to the second thing now, because he gives us the solution or the remedy for this strife in verses 6 through 12. Let me read it again to you. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. For the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So now included in all this is something that James is saying we have to do if we're going to change our chaos to peace. Now the first thing we have to understand is that God never requires what he will not resource. If God asks you to do something, he will give you the ability to do it. No matter what it is. If God commands you to do it, he will resource you to do it. you just got to be willing to do it. And that's where this idea of submission comes in. Hey, there have been, in the last six years, there have been times that I knew that there were certain things I had to do 
and certain things I had to give up in order to loose the anointing of God upon my life. And the same is true of you. There are some things that God is asking you to release so that He can give you something better. There are some things that He's asking you to turn loose of so that He can turn on a switch that will produce a light that will chase away the darkness in your life. But you've got to be willing to submit. So the first thing is, we've got to get right with God. Verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And then we are told, we are told that there are several things that we have to do. Now that grace produces an ability in us. Grace and pride are eternal enemies. Grace and pride cannot coexist. Grace and pride cannot work hand in hand. Grace always has to be at the forefront in your relationship with God because pride will always come before the fall. So grace and pride are eternal enemies. So here's what we have to do. Number one, he says you've got to submit to God. What does that mean? That just means God your way, not my way. I I just submit to you whatever your word says, I'm just going to do it. I may not understand it. I may not even feel like I have the ability to do it. I I don't know if I can do what you're asking me to do or not, but if you've asked me to do it, then God, I'm just going to do it by faith. I'm I'm just going to take a step of faith. I don't don't see how it will happen. I don't don't see that I have the wisdom that I need. I I don't see how that I have the strength that I need to do this. I don't know how I can forgive that person. I don't know how I can get along with that person. I don't know how I can keep my thoughts to myself and my words to myself when I want to say something that I know I shouldn't say. I don't know how I'm going to do it, God, but by faith I'm going to submit my will to your will and know that if you've asked me to do it then there's nothing that I cannot do because all things are possible to those who believe so I don't know how I'm going to submit to you but I'm going to submit to you and then he says resist the devil he said you're going to have to resist him now what does that look like well I'll tell you what it looks like the best way for me to describe this to you is if you understand anything at all about football, it's like the role that the offensive lineman plays when a play, when the ball is hiked, the offensive lineman stands up and he begins to, to protect his quarterback or he tries to push to the side and create a hole where the running back can move through. And so his role is to resist the enemy, to resist the defense that's trying with everything that they have to get to the quarterback or to get to where the ball is. And so the role of the offensive lineman is to stand up and to stand their ground and to get their hands up and to resist the defense and to push them aside. That's what some of us do. Oh, man, we're big talkers. Man, I'm telling you, we can smash talk with the devil all day long. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get you one of these days. You just better believe it. And then when the devil stands up and sneers in our face, we say, well, I I didn't mean today. I'm not prayed quite through yet. I haven't 
haven't fasted yet enough. I don't know that I can. No. I mean, what you've got to do is you've got to say, okay, big boy, if you're on the offensive, and he is because the Bible says that he roams to and fro seeking whom he may devour. He's on the offensive. He's looking for you. He's coming after you. But when he comes after you, you stand up and you take your position and you get your spiritual hands up. And when he approaches you, you shove him right in the chest and say, not today, big boy, because great is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You're defeated today by the power of the living God that lives within me. I ain't afraid of you. Too many of us just go looking for trouble. Where's the devil today? I just look him up and I'll just go find him. I'll just put a whooping on him today just because I can. I know pastors like that. They get a new assignment to a church and first thing they do when they get there start stirring trouble up. I spent 15 years in the state office. There was one guy that went from state to state to state and, and it was funny because he was in the first state where I was and then he moved to the second state where I went and then he went to the third one and everywhere he was he got in trouble and every time he got in trouble the overseers say, you know him, you go deal with him. I have to go deal with him. Finally, I just said, why is it that everywhere you go, you got to stir something up? Why can't you just be at peace with the people and love them and pray for them and give them the word of God? Why do you have to be such a pain in the neck? I may have said but to him, but I didn't say the other word. You know people like that. Where's the devil? You just tell me where he's at. Buddy, I'll just go kick his backside. Hey, listen, you don't need to stir up any trouble. Sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. But when he comes after you, when he comes after your family, when he comes after your kids, when he comes after your job, when he comes after your mind, when he comes after your body, then you are well within your rights to stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, not today, devil, by the power vested in me through the Holy Spirit of the mighty God, I overcome you by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Hallelujah. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. We resist the devil and then all of a sudden we want to go on tour. I, I resisted the devil. I've got a book I'd like to sell you. Twelve steps to resisting the devil. We want to go on tour. We want to talk about how great we are. Hey, you should have seen me in round three. Man, I put a chokehold on him. Caused his face to turn out every shade of blue you can imagine. Thought he was going to sign with UK. He was so blue. We, we, we want to go on this tour and talk about us when we ought to say, God, I, I'm glad that's over with. 
I just want to come sit in a rocking chair with you for a few minutes. I just want to climb up in your lap. I just want you to wrap your arms of love around me and wipe the dust off of me because that battle was hard and, and dirty and well fought and, and, and I feel greasy from it. But God, I know that if I can just come into your presence uh, that you will wash me clean by your word. Draw near to God. The scripture says he'll draw near to you. He's going to meet you. You don't have to go all the way to him. When you start drawing nigh to God, he's going to say, oh, one of my kids is coming to me. One of my children is approaching me. Get out of my way. I need to go to where my child is. I need to gather them up in my arm. I need for them to know that they're not alone. They're not by themselves. But I am there with them. Draw near to God. And then he says, cleanse your hands. I used to hate it when the old timers preached that. Cleanse your hands. My mom said, don't you come to this table until you've washed your hands. You get in there, Robbie, and you wash your hands. And don't forget to scrub underneath your fingernails. Cleanse your hands. I always thought of that as this native. Oh, there's dirty junk all over you. There's, there's junk on you and there you need to get it. No, that's a, you, why do we cleanse our hands? It's because germs get on our hands and, and we don't want to take those germs and transfer them from our hot dog to our mouth. Oh, gee, I wish I hadn't said that. I'm hungry now hot dog with everything, onions, mustard, ketchup. Oh, my goodness. It's for our own protection. God says cleanse your hands because you don't need any of the dirty stuff of the world affecting your relationship with me and other people. Get the germs off of your hands so that you can eat of my blessings without worrying about the curse that comes from the world. Wash your hands. Purify your heart. Lament and weep. <laughs> I always struggled with that. Why would God want me to go? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joby's a crier. That girl can cry at the drop of the hat and she'll drop the hat herself. She's come in the room and <laughs> what's wrong? Christians like that, don't you? Everywhere you see them, any time of the day, doesn't matter if it's Monday, Thursday, Friday, eight, you know, it doesn't matter. Just <laughs> and you feel this sense of obligation. I guess all that is, and then what? I'm wrong. Okay, you all right? You gonna make it? I like I like Mildred. She comes in back there, and before I can even ask, she'll say, "I'm doing fine. Mine doing good." God's been good to me now, let me tell you. She, she slipped in under her breath today. She said, I'm wearing a hat because I had a bad hair day today. But I'm, I'm doing fine. <clears throat> I like people like that, don't you? 
I'm doing fine. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. I've got heaven on my mind. Don't you know I'm going to go where the milk and honey flow. And that, sorry. How many of you ever heard that one? All right. I'm getting closer to you. So we get right with God, submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify the heart, lament and weep, humble. He's not talking about just going around with a sad sack, but look on your face. He's saying recognize your shortfallings and your, your sin and, and how that you're not what you could be and lament over that, but don't stay there. Instead, move from that place where you sinned or committed a, a transgression and say, though I did that, I feel bad that I did, but he gives more grace. And so I don't have to live in the sin and the failure. I can stand up through the power of Jesus Christ and in his grace, I can be all that he wants me to be. And then we have to get right with other people. Verses 11 and 12, read it with me. Do not speak evil against one another. Could you just say that out loud with me? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Does your version say unless they need to be rebuked? Unless they've done you wrong. Unless they said something to you that hurt your feelings. Does your version say that any of you? No, it doesn't. It simply says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. That's what it says. So you know what James is doing? He's taking us right back to chapter 3. He's taking us back to the tongue. Uh, the tongue. But the good news is, if, we, if you learned anything last week, I hope you learned this. If a man can control the tongue, if a man control, can control this right here, he can control the whole body. My mind is part of my body. My brain functions inside of my body. My attitude is in my brain, in my spirit. And therefore, if I can control my tongue, I can control my whole body. And so what he's saying here is, is that we can control these, these, these impulses to give someone else a piece of our mind. You know the old saying, you better not be giving much away because you don't have a whole lot. People said that to me a lot. It's interesting how John says something very similar in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. He says, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So how can you say, oh, I love God, I love God, I love God. But see that one over there? I hate their guts. Well, maybe not that strong, but I sure don't like them. I wish they could just find them another church to go. And we get these attitudes and these, these mentalities. 
our, our nature, God help me not to get political yet again, but, but our nature, our nation is, is just so eat up with negative words that are being volleyed back and forth at one another, and it's on both sides of the fence. It's all in all branches of the government, and my prayer is, oh God, help us if we're going to say we are Christian, help us to get our tongues under control so that your spirit can create unity and not chaos. Starts right here. James gives us a word, first of all, of caution. Verses 13 through 16, and come, Miss Donna, if you will, if you want to, you don't have to. But I'd like to invite you to come and begin playing so that I can shut up here in a minute. Not that I shut up when she walks near me. I don't want that to be misunderstood. James gives us a word of caution against an attitude of independence in verses 13 through 16. It says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, he said, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you are boasting in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So he gives three cautions. Number one, he cautions us against living apart from the knowledge that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That means He's running the show. That means He's in control. It means He's not going to work according to your plan. He's going to work according to His plan. He didn't create you contrary to what some of our humanistic views in America are today. He didn't create you so that you could be anything that you want to be and have all that you want to have. That's not God's plan for your life. Ask Mother Teresa. It doesn't work that way. God created you with purpose. And you'll never find joy and happiness until you start walking in your purpose. He's sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows And so therefore, He's going to bless His plan over your life. And He's not going to bless your plan over your life. James warns us that we need to understand that God is sovereign. And then He warns us against trying to live and move apart from reliance upon God. The Scripture says, in Him we live and move and have our being. The Scripture says, the steps... Of a good man, a righteous man, are ordered of the Lord. He will guide us. He will direct us if we will submit to Him. And then He warns against the spirit of arrogance. 
He said, when you walk around and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to have my way, it doesn't matter who it hurts or who it offends or I'm going to say what I want to say. I don't care if they like it or not. I'm going to do it anyway. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're arrogant. You're arrogant when you walk around. God, help me now to be nice. I'm I'm trying, really. I've been praying, Lord, help me be nice. Sometimes we just need to understand that it's our own arrogance that gets us into some of the fixes that we're in. We just fix our tendency to be arrogant. We can walk in a greater level of blessing in our lives. And then he closes with a challenge. And this is where I'm going to close. Where he stops, I'm going to stop. He challenges us in verse 17 where it says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin what is sin it is anything that is contrary to the ways of God and the kingdom of God and for the man or woman the individual who knows to do right and refuses to do it. It is sin. It's like the old gospel song that we used to sing years ago. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. And it will. It's those little foxes that get in. That tear up and destroy the vine. I don't want to close on a negative note. Because... I don't believe that what James is suggesting is negative. I think what he is saying is a caution which says, be be careful now. Yellow flag. You're not dead yet. You don't have the red flag yet. But if you want to get back to the green flag, you better pay attention to this yellow flag because if you know what you need to do and you don't do it, It's going to develop into sin, which is going to take you places that you don't want to go. So what's the positive? The positive is simply the opposite of the negative. If I know what to do and I do it, I'm going to be blessed. God's going to say, look at my child. They're doing just exactly what I told them to do. They have heard my word. And they have heeded my word. And now I'm going to help them as they operate in my word. I know what's the right thing to do. I know what's the right thing to say. I know what's the right thing to act out in my life. I know what's right. And because I know what's right, I can choose to do what is right. And when I choose to do what is right, then I just can't help but be blessed all over from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Now, you know that I've been watching my carbs and I'm, I'm close with this. You know, you know I've, I've been trying to be careful and all that and I, I got in bad trouble. I got one of those strong rebukes from my doctor last time because I'd put 11 pounds on. And he said, shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. He said, I can't help you at all if you're going to just keep eating like you're eating. Won't be long, you'll be right back in the same boat you were in. He 
said, you need to get the weight off. And the only way that you can do that is to stop eating the garbage that you've been eating. I thanked him for his opinion, gave him my debit card, and I walked out. First thing I wanted was a hot dog and a hot fudge sundae. know what I have to do to control my body's response to I know what I have to do I've learned what I have to do and if I'll do that every time I go to the doctor he says Mr. Baker man your numbers are just exactly what they should be I'm telling you your numbers are perfect your your blood pressure is perfect your cholesterol is perfect your PSA is perfect. Your blood sugar sugar is just where I need it to be. I know how to get where I need to be. I know that dietary restrictions and exercise will get me where I need to be and keep me where I need to be. But if I want to get rebellious, I can stop by Daddy's on my way home, take down a dozen of those beauties, I'll pay the price. But if I know what to do and I do it, I will be blessed. But if I know what to do and I don't do it, I can't blame God, can't blame my wife, can't blame my, I started to say my husband, but I don't have a husband. Can't blame my dog can't blame the church can't blame nobody can only blame myself that's where some of you are today you know I love you but listen you're the only person who can clean up the chaos that is residing in your life right now you're the only one you're the only person God doesn't use magic to fix you he can reset your moment But after he has reset your moment, you have to then walk in his principles and in his precepts for the blessings to continue. And that's what I want so desperately for you today. Will you stand with me?